Hi, everyone. This is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number one. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for the Raw Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Austin Bridges and myself, who manage LL Research and keep its mission alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. To do so, you may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary, and we're embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Uh, We'll start today's episode with an opening from Jim. A number of years ago, when Carla first began appearing on the In the Now blog talk radio show with Monica Leal, she was the only person that was there to answer questions and to uh, give her opinions on various uh, ideas that were brought up during the discussion. I was usually somewhere at hand, and occasionally she would look over at me with she wasn't really sure about what she needed to say on a topic and ask my opinion. Eventually, I became part of the show as well. After a couple of years, Monica decided that she had so much going on in her life that she needed to cut back some because her health was deteriorating due to being overworked and not having enough time to get everything done. So at that time, she decided to drop out of the uh, In the Now blog talk radio show. And for a while, it was on hiatus and uh, didn't uh, exist. So about a year ago, or maybe a little over a year ago, Gary and Austin and Carla and I decided that we would go ahead and uh, renew the show and get going again. And Carla, again, was in the uh, primary role. She would usually take the quote of the day from Quo on our blog, on our uh, In the Now, no, on our uh, Bring Forth website. There we go. Got it straight. And riff on it. And she could go anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes on a particular topic. We don't have Carla with us now. She passed away, as most of you probably know, on April 1st of this year. So we are going to try to carry on the show in uh, the vein in which Carla began it. Although we do not have a riffer on hand, we do have questions. (laughs) So uh, we'll take questions from our audience and be very grateful for every one of them. If you have questions, please do send them in. We uh, treasure them. And uh, let's have our first question. What do you say? Sounds good. Thank you so much, Jim. Our first question was sent in via email by a friend of ours and volunteer for LL Research, whose name is Andy, who lives in Germany and has been invaluable lately, actually, in helping us to format material for publication to the archive website. Andy starts out with a doozy, and he asks, 
about this quote from Ra that comes from session five, question two. Ra says, the second mental discipline is acceptance of the completeness within your consciousness. It is not for a being of polarity in the physical consciousness to pick and choose among attributes, thus building the roles that cause blockages and confusions in the already distorted mind complex. Each acceptance smooths part of the many distortions that the faculty you call judgment engenders. So Andy writes about the statement, it is not for a being of polarity in the physical consciousness to pick and choose among attributes, thus building the roles that cause blockages and confusions in the already distorted mind complex. That said, when you polarize to either service to others or service to self, doesn't that mean to do exactly that? Like choosing attributes such as kindness and compassion. Any first takers on that one? I think the key word here is acceptance of the completeness within your consciousness. When you're working with being able to accept yourself, you don't pick and choose what you accept and what you don't accept. You need to realize, number one, that you are a 360-degree being with dark sides, with bright sides, with uh, all kinds of attributes. In order to begin your spiritual journey and really make some progress on it, you need to be able to accept everything about yourself, to realize that you are also the creator, as is everyone else. So you don't pick and choose what you're going to accept of yourself. You accept everything about yourself. And as you go on in your spiritual journey, you may decide that you want to accentuate certain qualities and uh, deactivate other qualities, but you're accepting yourself for all of the qualities. I don't feel like I want to give my answer now. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty similar to what I was uh, going to answer as well. I think that the key to interpreting this is to not get too convoluted or esoteric when we talk about uh, picking and choosing attributes and accepting. And also, I think a big key is to take this in context with the first exercise, because this is actually the second exercise that Ra gives in a series of exercises. And so what the first exercise says is, to begin to master the concept of mental discipline, it is necessary to examine the self. The polarity of your dimension must be internalized. Where you find patience within your mind, you must consciously find the corresponding impatience and vice versa. Each thought that a being has, has in turn an antithesis. The disciplines of the mind involve, first of all, identifying both those things of which you approve and those things of which you disapprove within yourself, and then balancing each and every positive and negative charge with its equal. The mind contains all things, therefore you must discover this completeness within yourself. So the first exercise is to identify all these things within your consciousness that, and recognize their antithesis. And that's what you approve of and disapprove of. So in a sense, that's kind of figuring out what exactly you are picking and choosing. And then the second exercise seems more like an extension of that and accepting all of those things uh, that you are identifying rather than attempting to hide some away and only acknowledge the ones that you think are good. So essentially, I think the choice with a big C is, in a sense, the choice to do these exercises in one way or another, not exactly these exercises, but to seek out um, acceptance and love. Uh, a choice to accept all the love in all things about ourselves and others, whether they're light or dark. 
that choice already being made, then this exercise makes more sense, I think, as it's not referring to the larger choice uh, to move through life with acceptance or love, but to picking and choosing the things that we discover along that path. That was good. I liked that. Thank you. So what do you think about that one, Gary? Well, uh, I thought your and Jim's responses were completely adequate and sufficient, and I'm reluctant to put forward my own because it's far more uh, verbose and uh, not necessarily clarifying the situation, but um, that's what I'm here to do is offer my perspective. So I'll launch into it. Uh, In considering this question, uh, I start started at least with a point of seeing that there is a seeming spectrum of self from the most superficial and illusory aspects of the self on one end to the core essential and eternal self on the other so how does the third density entity move from the illusory to the actual from the false to the real Uh, Eckhart Tolle describes how we identify with mental states and outer characteristics like gender nationality age um, emotional state of mind etc We are constantly reaching for and attempting to hold on to mental ideas of past and future, of who we want to be, and of who we think we are. We have many attachments. Uh, Conversely, we avoid that which we don't want to face or accept, uh, that which is painful or unpleasurable. Because of this attachment and aversion, we we are identified with our thoughts. We are consequently missing the witness within. The witness that is aware of all outer qualities, all dualities, and all attributes, as Ra might say, but which does not identify with any of these attributes. That is to say, the witness doesn't make an identity of thought patterns. It doesn't make an identity of the story one tells oneself. The witness is presence. It is untouched by and free of outer phenomena. All qualities arise and fall within the witness. It is still, it is silent, and it is free. Eckhart Tolle says that the most important step that we can take on our spiritual journey is to disidentify from our mind. In my understanding, this doesn't mean rejection or repression or denial or judgment of the mind. It is just that we witness the patterns of the mind, both sides of each duality, without creating an identity. In this disidentification, we are free to know and experience who we really are, the infinity out of which all events within space and time and the psyche arise. From this emptiness comes true love, wisdom, creativity, and joy. So I I think that when Ra talks about picking and choosing among attributes, that they are encouraging the discovery of the witness or the emptiness or the stillness which contains all things. Uh, Ra mentions finding the completeness within your consciousness. You find that you have patience as well as impatience, but because you identify with neither, you realize that you, in actuality, are the witnessing awareness behind all phenomena. You disidentify from your mind, and in so doing, you see the completeness of your mind. This witness isn't just simply aware, it also accepts that which arises. There's no attempt to cling to one quality or another. Uh, The witness within you loves with equanimity and without condition. Therefore, it does not use what Ra calls the faculty of judgment. 
and all the anxious attempts to hold on to an impartial identity of who we think we want to be while keeping away and judging who we don't think we want to be dissolves in perfect peace and rest and abiding and acceptance. And thus the healing work can be undertaken. Um, it seems that so much of the illusory self has come into existence by lack of acceptance. We have created distortions and blockages and knots of consciousness due to non-acceptance and judgment and resistance and cycles of attachments and aversions. So, I will wrap up my response there. It is The language is confusing, and uh, I would turn to Austin and Jim's responses for helping to really untangle that and make it clear. Do you guys... I'm glad that you read your response because it brings the focus back onto the point that uh, we are the creator and there's no judgment within the creator. Or the witness, I interpret, being as basically part of the creator. Maybe not the full experience of the creator, but it's sort of elevating your identity to uh, closer to the creator. And that's elevating your identity out of the judgment that we would view these attributes otherwise. So I think your answer was important. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, what you're describing is uh, another way to say transcendence, too. You... um you don't overcome or repress or control these moving elements of the psyche and the aspects of the personality shell, but you rise above them, so to speak, or your awareness expands behind them, and acceptance is the road to doing so. Or another way to say that, surrender, or releasing resistance, or forgiveness. Any further thoughts from you guys? I think that acceptance is really the foundation for the future growth of the soul in the incarnation. Right on. Sounds right. Thank you so much, Andy, for that question. We shall move on to our next, which comes from Bridie D. That was sent in via Facebook. Um, Bridie is also a recent volunteer. Bridie writes... Regarding the daily quote from February 9th, which said, quote, For each of you is the universe. You are looking out at a world that is actually interior. Such is the illusion created by flesh. This is so hard for me to wrap my head around, because when we are having a negative slash unpleasant experience with an other self, like when someone is angry and you don't deserve it, do we create that by the way we view it slash judge it? And then how does my interior world and another self's interior overlap? Austin, you want to be the first taker? Sure. I think this is one of the toughest things to grasp in our illusion because it's essentially the point of the veil to hide the answer kind of to this exact question from us. Bridie asks uh, whether or not we create a situation like somebody being angry at us when we don't deserve it. And depending on the context of the question, there are some people within the New Age school of thought that would say, yes, we attract every experience to ourselves, no matter what that experience is, in the law of attraction school of thought. I don't think that's necessarily true in the absolute sense. I do believe we attract lessons to us that will help us work through our imbalances and evolve spiritually, but I don't think that means we won't ever experience random catalyst or that somebody might not just randomly get angry at us for no reason. 
However, if we have an emotional reaction to a person who is angry at us for supposedly no reason, uh, it's a catalyst nonetheless. Feeling the emotional charge or pressure is an opportunity to look inside and see what's keeping a balanced mindset of love from being expressed. I'm reminded of uh, Don and Ra discussing the bowl in the pen. <clears throat> and uh, Don asking if the perfectly balanced individual would just simply experience love when the bull was charging. And Ra said, yes, that's true. Uh, then Ra went on to say that uh, if that bull were actually a third-density entity, it would actually be a more intricate situation because that would offer some chances for service to that person because they, their motivations would probably be uh, more complex than the bull charging. So in a sense, I think Bridey is right in saying that we create these things by the way we view it and judge it. And I think that's the nature of our own personal universe. But I think that Kuo is saying this plus a lot more. I think they're pointing out that our personal identity can expand beyond our personal self, that the human body and the personality that we might call Austin or Bridey uh, is not the limits of what we can identify with. Our body is just a certain configuration of atoms, and if you look at it from a subatomic point of view, there's nothing very remarkable about it, this configuration. And if you travel through our bodies to the air outside of it at the subatomic level, you'll notice really no differentiation between ourselves and the universe around us in that sense. Um, so there's obviously some physical limitations to our physical consciousness, but what I think Kuo is saying is that we're not limited to this physical consciousness. Uh, I remember Carlo used to sing a song that went, uh, I am a bubble, make me the sea. And I think that's kind of what they're talking about here. We are perfectly able to expand our identity to that of the universe or of the creator. We are the universe becoming aware of itself, and we are the creator experiencing itself. When you look at the most distant star in the night sky, that star is part of your body, not your physical body here on Earth, but the body of the creator, the body of the universe, and you were looking at yourself. That is the interior that I think Kuo was talking about, is the star, is the interior of the creator, and on a greater level of identity, it is our own interior as well, because we are the creator. And Bridey also asks, how does my interior world and another self's interior overlap? And I think this is that really tough question that the veil keeps us from grasping. But I do feel that if two people expand their awareness to the point of identifying with the creator or the universe, uh, then and they're both elevating themselves out of their personal physical identity, then they are both the creator looking at their own interior world, and it's the same interior world. They are not two different creators. They are the same one creator looking at the same one interior. Uh, all sparks, the, or our personal identity, would just be a spark from that perspective, or like Carla saying about, just a bubble within the sea, and we are the sea looking at the bubbles. Yeah, really... Really, Doug, uh, your um, illustration of looking out at a distant star and that being not your earthly body, but the body of the creator, which you are. Jim, did you have a reply to Bridie? Um, I My only reply would be that I don't think we choose every little thing that's going to happen to us. I think that we come into the incarnation with certain things 
chosen in the way of our, our mind complex, our body complex, spiritual complex, and our emotional complexes. And these provide the basic lessons so that we are able to balance what we wish to balance and to be what we wish to be. There are, however, what you might call uh, side effects or um, trickle-down effect when we have a certain quality. Maybe we have patience or don't have patience or judgment or don't have judgment. And we're trying to work on that and to balance it that we'll find that these uh, qualities will be accentuated or triggered by even small things that can give us an indication that um, there is something to work on there. Wherever we find ourselves veering from the total unconditional love for a person or a situation, then we can probably figure there's a lesson there for us to learn. And that these aren't by really by chance, that we do want to learn all the lessons that come with the uh, groupings of qualities of a mind, body, spirit, and emotion. And that there really are no mistakes, as Ra said, that uh, we can learn from everything that happens. When we find ourselves being able to love the people and uh, events around us, then we might discover that we've done a pretty good job and um, might be moving on. Who knows? <laughs> because as long as you're here having a catalyst to work on, then you probably are supposed to be here. Yeah, precisely. Um, my own attempt at this question was to focus in on the word that. So I could, my response goes in two different directions. Uh, firstly, Bridie says, do we create that? So if in that question, Bridie is, is asking if the entity creates the outer situation, for instance, in the example that she cited where the self is the undeserved recipient of anger from another. In terms of the creation of outer situations that involve the actions of other selves, I've never been clear exactly how far responsibility extends. Uh, when two or more people are interacting, is one completely responsible for the dynamic? Or are they both mutually and equally responsible? Or is there an asymmetry of responsibility? I'm not entirely sure, but I believe that each entity who participates in a dynamic of more than one has at least some responsibility in the equation. I don't think that there are truly any victims in the universe whereby... Person A has something done unto them by person B without bearing some kind of responsibility in there. Perhaps what feels like unfair treatment from another is, in fact, something that you called to yourself, even subconsciously. Perhaps the unfair treatment is a manifestation of pre-incarnational programming or of the outworkings of karma. It is difficult to say. Uh, for instance, uh, Carla expressed that she would um, recurringly run into people in her life who did not treat her with love. And she recognized that that was uh, a key incarnational lesson for her, in, uh, which was part of a design to teach her to love without expectation of return. So having taken that responsibility and become aware of this lesson, she could recognize when the next person came along who uh, offered her this opportunity, she could see that, oh, this is the person I'm going to love without expectation of return, and didn't see it put herself so much in the role of victim who was a recipient of unfair treatment from somebody else. Um, the other way to tackle that 
to tackle Bridie's question, uh, when she asked, do we create that, is to ask you, Bridie, if the entity creates, if you're asking, rather, if the entity creates their own perception, attitude, suffering, joy, and overall experience of the moment, whatever may be the outer circumstances of the moment. If that's the question, then I say it is categorically true that the entity indeed creates their own experience. The Confederation philosophy is quite clear in assigning total, radical responsibility to the self for their own creation. Uh, For instance, in 10.12, Ra says, and I'll reduce some of the verbiage here to make it smoother for reading. Quote, the law of one has as one of its primal distortions, the free will distortion. Thus, each entity is free to accept, reject, or ignore the mind-body-spirit complexes about it and ignore the creation itself. There are many among your social memory complex distortion who engage daily in the workings upon the law of one in one of its primal distortions, that is, the ways of love. However, if this same entity were then to accept responsibility for each moment, such an entity can empower its progress. Uh, that is an absolute statement from Ra when they say accept responsibility for each moment. There's no uh, asterisk there. There's no exception. It is not only each moment, but all moments and whatever is happening. And I think that insight awakens us to the power that dwells within each of us. Whatever we're experiencing, we are always experiencing the results of our own free will, even if we are not consciously and wisely directing that free will. So the question then becomes how we may be more aware of our will and how we may more effectively, through love and light, harness the faculties of will and faith in order to undistort reality and to serve. Uh, along this line, Ra also says in 99.5, quote, As in all distortions, the source is the limit of the viewpoint, which again points to the total responsibility of the self in generating their own experience. And then um, quickly and finally... Bridie asks, how does your interior world and another self's interior world overlap? Uh, One way to respond to that question is to say that they overlap through the mirroring effect. Each person is a mirror to the other. You are seeing the fruits of your own beingness in the reflection of another. Distorted though it may be, the analysis of what the reflection means, how clearly you are perceiving the reflection, where the responsibility lies, and how to respond to that reflection, etc., is indeed the work of an incarnation guys have any further thoughts on Bridie's question no I think that about does it yeah I think so let's see what do you guys think and we're at about 28 minutes do you want to dive into Scott's questions no I don't think so I think maybe talk about how these shows will be a bit shorter without Carla, and then go ahead and do the outro. Oh, that's a good idea. All right, it looks like we have reached the end of our time. Um, Our new format will be different from our old format. Previously, we had uh, aimed for about an hour worth of discussion. Uh, That was aided because Carla had a certain talent and gift for uh, opening up her heart and her Blu-ray, and out would come an uninterrupted flow of inspiration. And using that gift, she would riff 
at the beginning of each show. We would start the show out with a quote, and um, Carla would take off from there, and I don't think she ever really planned so much of what she was going to say. I think she had some seed ideas, but um, she would plant those seeds into her Blu-ray, and then um, I think she was often surprised (laughs) in terms of uh, where she went with that. But um, Jim Austin and I don't quite share that that same capacity for for riffing. I think we're a little bit more uh, left-brained, a little bit more in our heads. So um, reducing that and just focusing on the, on the questions, we decided that perhaps uh, 30 minutes of length would, would be a better starting point from us. So we'll more or less try to keep to that, maybe going a little bit over, maybe under. And uh, with that, I think we'll close our show. Are there any more notes I should share? No, we just want to uh, wish everybody a good day and thank everyone for questions and tell everybody we love you all. Yes, we do. And also, I guess really quickly just mention that we, since this is a pre-recorded podcast, aren't at the moment doing live callers like we were with our previous format. You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for us before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk with you next week.